Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Polygon Alpha podcast, where the Polygon community gathers insights from today's leaders into centralized finance, crypto, and Web3. I'm your host, Justin Havens, aka Crypto Texan. Let's get started. On today's installment of Polygon Alpha, we are joined by the co-founder of Stator Labs, Amit Gajala. Amit, thanks for being here with us today. How's everything going? Thanks a lot, Justin, for uh, having me here. Uh, things have been great. Uh, recently moved to Toronto, getting used to the uh, uh, the Canadian lifestyle. So things have been great so far. I've heard that people are just very, very friendly in Canada. Have you had that experience? Yeah, definitely. Everybody is quite helpful here and the weather is nice for the next three months. So I'm having a great time here. That's great. Yeah. Welcome to North America. You came from India, correct? Like what prompted you to move to Toronto? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was living in Bangalore before moving to Toronto. Uh, my wife is doing a postdoc uh, fellowship here at Toronto General Hospital. So we are here for a year because of that. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Well, I thought it was something crypto related, but it's something uh, not crypto related. But so what, what is your background in crypto? Like, how did you get to be where you are today as the co-founder of Stator Labs? Yeah, so I was <clears throat> I was working in Web2. So I was leading uh, uh, I was leading strategy and transformation at one of India's food delivery startups called Swiggy. And during that, uh, during the during my last year at Swiggy, I was intrigued by the DeFi revolution that was going on uh, and multiple financial applications and non-financial applications that were getting built on the blockchain as a base technology was really inspired by uh, the the kind of applications that were built. And, uh, and then I got together with my co-founder Siddharth, uh, who was pretty much into uh, mining since the, since the 2011, 12 days. And then he got into staking as well. Uh, so got together with him, explored a bunch of areas and realized that staking is going to be a huge potential market opportunity. And uh, we started Stader in June last year. Uh, and then after that, it was it was a crazy ride, uh, as, as always, uh, things with crypto, right? Like, I mean, people say that crypto never sleeps and we've never slept after that. <laughs> it's been such a such a crazy and uh, adventurous ride since we started this uh, this company called Stader Labs. We initiated our journey uh, on Terra blockchain. And everybody knows what happened with Terra after the collapse of UST. Uh, however, it was a great experience at its peak. We had about uh, 60,000 users who were staking with us on Terra across our several solutions and about a billion dollars of uh, total value of assets staked with us. And, uh, yeah, and very quickly, we expanded to four more blockchains beyond Terra within a span of about a few months. We expanded to Polygon. We expanded to Phantom, Hedera. Right now, we have also launched our liquid staking solutions on Near as well as BNB. Overall, even today, we have about close to about $90 million of total value of assets staked on our platform. Yeah, and I think typically when you see uh, protocols and projects move from chain to chain, it's typically EVM-compatible chain to EVM-compatible chain. But that's not necessarily the case with Stator Labs. Like, have you run into any issues with that or w would it be just so much easier for y'all to stick to EVM compatible chains? So I would, it would have been definitely easier to stick to EVM compatible chains, but even within EVM compatible chains, the, the way staking is uh, kind of architected on these chains is quite different. For example, staking is very different on ETH versus staking on Matic, right? On Matic staking actually happens on ETH while the entire DeFi is on Polygon sidechain, right? And similarly on uh, BNB, though BN, so though the BSC uh, Binance Smart Chain is EVM compatible, the actual staking happens on the Binance chain. So these are all complexities even within the EVM chains. In fact, I would say Rust chains are a little more simpler in terms of how staking is uh, uh, staking architecture is designed. Like for example, Terra had like single chain where the staking used to happen directly with the validators and similarly Solana. That's interesting. And let's take a step back real quick and just, can you explain to us in your own words, you know, what is staking when it, you know, in regards to layer one blockchains and why is staking necessary? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if we if we just go back in time and sort of figure out how consensus was uh, reached in Bitcoin network, right? It was primarily through proof of work. The Bitcoin miners have to solve a uh, solve a difficult problem, either brute force or some way to get to a block production, right? To to be eligible for actually adding a block to the blockchain. That is how things used to work in the Bitcoin network. Now, the staking of proof of stake was an advancement over that proof of work technology, where instead of using computing power to solve a problem, people actually pledged their capital. And these people are nothing but node operators, pledged their capital in the native tokens to secure the network and participating in block production and consensus mechanism, right? Why was uh, why was this an advancement? Now, you don't have to like, you, you don't need to have like these large computing powerhouses guzzling energy, right? Uh, it's about, it's a little more, it's a lot more energy efficient and capital efficient that way, where your node operators kind of pledge their assets. And depending on the amount of assets that they have pledged, they get an op- the, they get an opportunity to produce the blocks or add blocks to the network, right? It's a probability, the probability is dependent on the amount of capital that they have pledged. Now, what happened was there was a slight advancement over proof of stake, then emerged a delegated proof of stake where anybody that held crypto tokens in that native currency can also participate in staking by simply delegating their tokens to a validator or the node operator, right? Because everybody will not have the wherewithal to run a node, right? Because it requires technological skills and and uh, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of geeky stuff that even I am not familiar with. Uh, so since everybody cannot run a node operator, so this is this was a very convenient way for users or anybody who held crypto tokens to just simply stake with that validator and earn a return on top of that for providing their crypto tokens to the validators. It also helped the validators now because they don't have to like source all the capital themselves. They can actually rent the capital from the existing users who held these tokens. And you said that you know, proof of stake was an advancement over proof of work. So do you feel like proof of stake consensus is superior to that of proof of work consensus? Uh, what, what are your thoughts there? So there are several dimensions. I wouldn't say it is completely superior over proof of work. There are certain advantages and disadvantages to proof of stake, right? Advantages are, one, it doesn't need a lot of computing power, which means it's a lot more energy efficient. Two, uh, you don't need to uh, you don't need to be extremely technologically savvy to run all of these compute the the machines that can solve these difficult problems in a brute force way right the the kind of barriers to entry that exist in proof of work kind of got toned down in the case of a proof of stake right even running nodes like i can i can probably run nodes from a bare, bare metal server that i have at home so that kind of reduced the barrier to entry for these node operators and at the same time the delegated proof of stake was even a further advancement on top of it. Now, I don't even, as a validator, I don't need to have a ton of capital that I myself have to delegate. I can rent capital from somebody and still participate in the consensus of the network. Right. So while these are the advantages, <clears throat> of course, the disadvantages are probably a little more centralized than the proof of work because Typically, the wealth distribution is a little more centralized, right? When you take traditional finance as well as crypto. So it kind of, this is one of the disadvantages of proof of stake, I would say. So one of the different, or one of the disadvantages in your mind is that, I guess, stakers in a proof of stake system lack sell pressure as opposed to in the proof of work system, right? You have to sell your block reward in order to cover like electricity expenses, operating expenses in general yeah i yeah that's yeah i mean do you feel like that's a valid criticism uh so it's valid or not valid depends on the perspective that an individual takes right uh i think i think both of these technologies are quite young i think only time will tell whether proof of stake leads to a lot more centralization versus proof of work so far it's been proof you must have seen that most of the Proof of stake networks are a lot more centralized when it comes to Nakamoto coefficient than the Bitcoin network, right? But I think over a period of time, as these L1s take necessary steps to mitigate 
the centralization. I think probably proof of stake networks would have circumvented that uh, disadvantage. Uh, one more advantage that I forgot to mention is obviously the the transaction throughput is quite high, which is great, right? And it kind of uh, enables a lot more applications that a proof of work networks cannot. Yeah, and I think it also, you know, the proof of stake consensus mechanism also gives the opportunity, you know, with the delegated proof of stake and with liquid staking providers like Stater Labs, it gives more users and more individuals opportunities to participate in the network and receive a portion of those block rewards where not only I think in the proof of work system, do you have this technical hurdle that you have to get over, but also there's like a a, a huge capital expense that you have to get over as well to run these, you know, ASIC mining rigs. Um, So, uh, so like who's doing the staking on the proof of stake consensus networks um is it mainly retail or institutions who are doing the staking what are you seeing uh i think staking is quite popular both among retail as well as institutions right a lot of institutions typically participate in plain vanilla staking which is just delegate their tokens to a validator because of their inherent uh, risk parameters so if they are staking generally with a validator, they're not taking additional smart contract risk. While retail is a little more comfortable taking the smart contract risk and also uh, utilizing the opportunities that can uh, give them higher yields with liquid staking tokens. Institutions have been traditionally a little farther away in terms of the adoption journey, but I think that is changing slowly. As as more of as as a lot of these, I mean, like for example, Stata Labs, we started very very slow on Polygon. Now we are at about twelve thirteen million dollars of uh, Madic staked with us. Slowly, a lot more whales and institutions are taking notice of this. They are comfortable because the contracts have been there for more than four five months now. No no major nothing nothing happened with respect to the security. We have about a couple of audits and a huge bug bounty program running through right. And most of the things are safe. Now, it, it, it gives them a little bit of comfort to try out these new solutions because it also gives them access to yield opportunities across the other DeFi protocols. Well, and I think another benefit to uh, using a, a liquid staking service like yourself as opposed to a user doing the staking on their own, like we talked about, you know, there's there's technical hurdles that the user has to overcome, but also... When you're staking on Stater Labs or Rocket Pool or Lido, uh, you're also receiving a, a token in return that represents the the amount that you have staked on the network through that protocol, which is another benefit because then you can then use that staked token, I guess, asset or receipt. It kind of acts as a receipt in my mind uh, to use in DeFi protocols. So can you talk about like the importance of that? uh, And why is that so important to, I guess, retail and institutional DeFi users? Yeah. Uh, So uh, a quick background on staking, especially on networks like Polygon or uh, ETH or any kind of network, right? So when, when users actually stake their tokens to a validator, their tokens are locked and, uh, what that means is they can, if they want to immediately take out their tokens, it's not possible. There is always a waiting period or an unbonding period, right? And on Polygon, it's typically two to three days. On other networks like uh, Solana, it's about three days. On Binance, it's about seven to 15 days, etc. Each Each network has its own type of implementation of this unbonding period. Now, if a user has, if a user wants to speculate on the price of Matic, while being staked, it's not possible because the token is locked to the validator. Or if a user wants to use this staked position to actually collateralize and take out a loan, that's not possible because it's locked, right? He doesn't have, and and it's not composable to uh, use the staked position as is on a lending protocol because the lending protocols cannot liquidate it in case the price goes down. So hence, there was a there, there is an advancement called liquid staking, uh, where when you stake, when the user stakes this uh, traditional his his native token, 
what protocols like ours or Lido or Rocketpool, etc. give us a representative token that kind of uh, represents the underlying staked capital. For example, on Matic, we give out a token called MaticX, which increases in value as we claim and compound the rewards. And at the same time, MaticX has these secondary markets across DeFi protocols or AMMs like Balancer, uh, QuickSwap or Dystopia, etc., MeshSwap, etc., on on Polygon, where users can actually swap this MaticX and get to Matic and then probably sell their Matic in case they want to speculate on the price of the Matic in the short term. Right? This enables them to earn staking rewards using MaticX while also giving them the flexibility to exit without the unbonding period. That is the primary advantage of liquid staking. The secondary advantage is the advantages of providing LPs on AMMs, right? Uh, so users can pair Matic and MaticX and provide that as a as an LP on uh, on any of the exchanges that I had mentioned earlier. And they for providing that, they earn transaction fees. They also earn dual incentives that are given out by the DEX as well as Stader platform, right? So that's a that's a great advantage. Then the third advantage is because MaticX is like just like any other token on the Polygon network, it can be integrated with several lending markets uh, or or for that matter any of the derivatives protocols that are uh, that are some of some are some are live on Polygon already like the Delta markets and some more are coming soon. It can be leveraged across all of these protocols to enhance their positions. Right, they could go long on. Probably for like take they could take out a stable coin loan on Aave once MaticX is integrated with Aave. Uh, of course, governance has to approve that. Uh, they could take out a stable coin loan or they could take out a Matic loan and stake that Matic, get MaticX, and then do that repeat loop to get into leverage staking. Or they could take out a stable coin loan and use that stable coin to get into a long position on Matic. Right? So all these opportunities open up, which are not possible if you were just doing a traditional staking. Yeah, and uh, if I'm remembering correctly, there was this unique circumstance that happened uh, a couple months ago where staked Ether uh, depegged from the actual Ether price. But that didn't really happen with Matic, you know, staked Matic assets um can you get into a little bit of detail why that ha- why that did not happen with matic yeah i think the state ether is still a little bit depegged with respect to eth i think yesterday when i checked it was trading at about 0.97 eth uh so a, a couple of reasons it has nothing to do with the design of the token or the protocol itself right it has it's a discount that the market is giving to state ether because the ETH withdrawals time frame is not very clear to anybody today. Though the merge, uh, testnet merge has been successful, and there is a there is an anticipation for the mainnet merge in around September, but the withdrawal time frame is not clear. So that's why the market is discounting the staked ETH because because of this time period, time frame gap between withdrawals and when the ETH can be. Uh, when the stake deed can be exchanged one is to one with the ETH, right? What that means is basically uh, today, if I have to do an arbitrage between the actual contract that is staking ETH and the secondary market, which is probably Curve or Balancer, etc., where the stake ETH is trading at a discount, that is not possible because there is no withdrawal that is enabled on ETH. That is the primary reason why. Uh, the stake teeth is trading at a discount. On the other hand, with respect to Matic, the withdrawal is possible. Uh, going back to my earlier point of unbonding period of three days. So with an unbonding period of three days, I can buy the Matic X that is available in case it depegs. I can buy that at a cheaper price, come to the contract, unstake it, and get uh, Matic X at a higher price. So let's say as a hypothetical example, Matic X is trading at 0.9 Matic on Balancer, and uh, and and the price of Matic X is about 1.1. 1. 1, uh, for every one Matic X, you probably get 1.1 Matic on Stader smart contract. A general user or a typical arbitrager can buy Matic X for 0.9 Matic, come to Stader, 
and then uh, unstake that matic x for 1.1 matic so there is a very clear arbitrage opportunity that exists hence these will come to equilibrium very quickly unlike a staked ether yeah that makes sense so it really is just like a liquidity issue in the market right like if you if you're staking ether right now it's unclear as to when you will be able to unstake that ether thus the ETH, the staked ether token trades at a discount right because even after the merge i think there has to be another uh protocol upgrade to even allow for staking withdrawals on ether and then it, it should be like a six month period after that if you want it to withdraw so uh, i guess the market prices that at a three percent discount if you said it's pointing it's trading at 0.97 i guess and the reason that it that's not the case with Matic is because you can unstake. Yeah. It takes about two to three days for that to be unstaked. So yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And I think it's just good to lay out that foundation of like how the market works in regards to arbitraging those types of staked assets. Um, so Stater Labs provides staking services to a wide variety of different chains. Like you said, like, Phantom, BNB, Polygon, Ethereum, Terra, Terra 2.0, Terra Classic. Um, and you said earlier... We don't, we don't provide uh, Ethereum yet. Oh, when, when do y'all plan on providing that? So we're working with a DVT player, a distributed validator technology player, to build a staking pool on top of them. So hopefully in a, in a month or two from now is when we should... Uh, we should have the solution ready, but again, it depends on the merge and the withdrawals. Right. Okay. I think I just saw it on your website, but maybe it was like a coming soon. Ethereum, Ethereum was coming soon. Yeah. Little teaser. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, and earlier you said that Rust-based chains are a little bit easier from a staking standpoint than the Solidity EVM models. Uh, can you get into a little bit of detail why that is? I, I haven't heard that before, so that's interesting. So it's not a generalized statement. It is, a, I mean, what I meant was if you compare blockchains like uh, Polygon, where the actual staking happens on Ethereum, right? And Polygon is a different chain, right? Where you need to probably use a wormhole or a POS bridge to actually port your tokens from Ethereum to Polygon. So if earlier, if users have to forget about liquid staking, Earlier, before liquid staking solutions, if users had to come and stake Matic, they had to come to Ethereum to stake their Matic. There was no way for those users to stake Matic on Polygon chain. Right? What that means is for a liquid staking player like us, we will have to build our contracts on, on Ethereum chain for Matic staking. So the Matic X is a token that is given out on Ethereum chain. Now that Matic X had to be ported to Polygon chain, right? So uh, our first version of the solution was this, where users had to come to ETH, uh, stake their ETH, get MaticX, and then use the bridge that MaticX to Matic Polygon network. What we have introduced is a simple shuttle between Polygon and ETH, where we pre-mint MaticX by staking our own Matic and created a pool on Stader's website so that users can directly stake their Matic on Stader Polygon network at the same price. What this what this enables them is they, they can just save a lot of gas costs and a lot of time uh, in bridging the assets and then staking it on Ethereum. And did you build your own bridge for that solution? Uh, we didn't build a bridge. It was a simple shuttle that is run by a multi-sig because we deployed our own capital, staked that, took out MaticX, and then we keep shuttling this every couple of days. Okay, but it's it's not a bridge necessarily that you had to build, I guess? It's not a bridge. We use the existing Polygon bridge. Um, what are some other like very unique challenges for staking on different chains? Um, like, wh which chains are like the most technologically intensive and which ones are like the easiest, I guess? I think, uh, I think Terra was quite easy because uh, there was one monolithic chain, right? Uh, where the validators were on the chain and staking was on the chain and DeFi is also on that chain, right? Uh, 
Binance is definitely similar to Polygon, where staking happens on the Binance chain and the entire DeFi happens on the Binance Smart Chain. Right. And and obviously they're there I mean we cannot build a smart contract on Binance chain. What that means is a lot of off-chain cron jobs have to be run in an automated way so that uh, we take the user's funds, take it on Binance chain, bring back the tokens, bring back the liquid tokens and give it to them on Binance Smart Chain. Okay, interesting. So some of these chains are definitely uh, technologically a little more complex because of the way they have de- they are designed. Yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. And I, I know that y'all started out with Terra, staking on Terra. And uh, I mean, what was it like being a staking provider on Terra during this uh, episode, I guess, this Terra collapse? Yeah, so it was, it was definitely hard for us because we had... We had a good amount of our treasury on Anchor as well. Uh, not full amount, obviously. We were de-risked across the stable coins. Uh, it was definitely a hard time for us from a business point of view as well as from a comp- from a protocol point of view, right? From a business point of view, as I mentioned earlier, we had about a billion dollars of assets staked on our platform and 60,000 users, right? And Terra was a very buoyant ecosystem and one of the strongest communities that was out there. Uh, so it was, it was the... the the incident was quite uh, devastating for a lot of users, unfortunately, because they had their life savings in UST and Luna, and majority of them was wiped out as a result of the of the event. Uh, even for us, as a as a protocol, it was quite uh, uh, dif- they were quite difficult times because the entire team saw the collapse of our TVL from probably a billion to just about a $60 million in, in a matter of a couple of days. Uh, so it did impact the team's morale quite a bit. Uh, took us some time to just gather us together and sort of look forward and go aggressively across the other chains, right? It was, in hindsight, it was definitely a learning experience. Uh, one of the learnings is we could have, we could have, uh, probably expanded a lot more aggressively to the other chains. So like, a, I guess in hindsight, you would have hedged a little bit more, or I guess like diversified your, your services and your assets onto other chains. That's the lesson that you learned there. I mean, what other challenges have you faced, like being a crypto-related startup? I think uh, at the beginning, there were quite a few challenges, right? Uh, we've, when we started out in March last year, there were just a handful of uh, protocols that were being built out of India. And uh, it was first very hard to connect with the right protocol founders and uh, get advice on how to start, how to structure the company, how to design go-to-market, how to find these uh, smart contract developers and uh, and marketers, all of these, right? Pretty much everything was a challenge back then. I would say, right, in terms of uh, building the building the organization and building the protocol. But off late, I think we've learned it over a period of time to how to source the developers and the right marketers. Now we have about 30, 30 engineers, majority of them protocol developers. We have pretty solid marketers. We one of the one of the like better known firms for generating the right kind of content and marketing on crypt in, in like across the protocols. So we've learned our lessons, uh, some via mistakes that we've committed and some via intuition. Yeah. I've seen a lot of the content that your marketing team has been putting out and it's, it, it's top quality. So if you're listening to this, go follow Stater Labs on Twitter and uh, put your notifications on for them because it's, it's very good content, not just about Stater Labs, but just about, the crypto ecosystem in general it's it's very good thanks thanks a lot for the shout out just yeah you know happy to help and uh i i think another thing that's that's important for these staking protocols is to have a lot of utility for right like this the staked asset token and in your case that's called matic x um i think you know people have the opportunity to become liquidity provisors and dexes uh, they can borrow against it um it, there's a lot of opportunities there. And I, I know you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but let, I think it'd be a good idea just to reiterate, you know, like what are, what's some of the other utility that users can do with their Matic X token on the, well, on Ethereum and on uh, Polygon? 
So majority of the utility is actually on Polygon chain because that's where the Matic DeFi ecosystem is is more active. Uh, so uh, essentially today we have, one should think of opportunities with MaticX in three dimensions. One is secondary markets where MaticX is traded with Matic or stable coins, right? So right now we probably, we are integrated with almost all the DEXs on, on the Polygon ecosystem, including QuickSwap, Balancer, uh, MeshSwap and Dystopia, which is a new DEX that has recently launched where we have Matic, MaticX pools uh, majority of them stable swap across dystopia and uh, balancer where you ha- you have very very little slippage or across the trades right because this is these are pegged assets uh, so one can provide matic matic x as lp on these dexes that's one opportunity and there are good amount of rewards some in some cases stater rewards in some cases dual rewards where the dex is also giving the rewards Right, so this is this is a very interesting opportunity, especially given that the matics taking rewards have gone down from ten percent to about six point two or six point three percent. Right, the second set of opportunities are how can we leverage MaticX alone or the Matic MaticX LP. So there is an interesting opportunity where one can lend MaticX and further get some yields on top of it on MeshSwap. The other opportunity on MeshSwap is they can leverage their matic matic x pool leverage up and earn uh, further yields on top of the matic matic x pool right that's the second set of opportunities the third and obviously uh, we are also integrated with this options protocol called uh, 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 i think uh, delta uh, delta options market delta markets uh, where users can uh, participate in call and put options on top of Matic X. So that's an interesting opportunity that exists. And uh, the third set of opportunities will be unlocked soon. Uh, recently, our uh, chain Matic X chain link oracle has been deployed, which means potential integrations with the lending markets across Polygon, including Chidao. And uh, once the governance approval is done on our way as well, so that's the third set of opportunities that will be unlocked, which will be very interesting. Yeah, and that's big news for any protocol, I think, to have you know the utility of that Chainlink Oracle. Can you touch on that? Like, why is it so important to have that Chainlink Oracle for Matic X? Yeah, absolutely. So just to for context, Chainlink Oracle determines the price of that asset, right? It uh, in a decentralized way, they always tell what the price of matic x is in stables or in matic right so we have that oracle in place now what that means is for lending markets in case there is a huge drop in price of the native asset like matic they should be able to liquidate that position or they should be able to know what is the right time to liquidate that position what that also means is now matic x becomes composable across these different different uh protocol types or lending markets and potentially the futures markets and options markets that will open up in the in the near term right uh, so this helps with easier integration and they can manage the positions very easily right it, what it means is it unlocks a lot of potential utilities for matic x uh, examples are now users can do leverage staking with matic x on the uh, on on the isolated pools on our way once the governance has approved this particular uh, Matic X listing. Similarly, users can probably put Matic X as collateral and take out uh, my as a loan on Manhattan Finance, which is by Cheetah, etc. Right. So all of these opportunities open up for Matic X, which is which are which are ultimately beneficial to the user because. With MaticX, they're earning staking rewards. And on top of that, it is enabling them to participate in DeFi opportunities, generating higher yields. Well, that's exciting. I didn't know about the future Cheetow integration pending governance vote, I guess. Um, I use Cheetow quite a bit, so I'll be looking forward to that. I think the governance vote has passed for Manhattan Finance. So it should be coming live soon. Okay, that's exciting. Um, and let's talk about, you know, let's just do some comparisons to some of your, I guess, competitors in the space, like Rocket Pool and Lido and I guess Claystack is also one. Like, ha- how do you differentiate yourself in this, you know, 
this like subsector of the crypto space that is growing. I mean, even like with like more centralized providers as well, like with Coinbase. So a couple of things. One, uh, safety. Uh, so we are all, wherever we go, we at least do a couple of audits and a huge bug bounty program. Uh, on Matic, our contracts are audited twice. So completely safe. We are fairly conf- we are very extremely confident of the quality and safety of the smart contracts. And we also periodically keep uh, doing several audits as, as, as the contracts mature and we fix any of the bug, any of the bugs that we encounter on a periodic basis, right? Safety is top priority for us. The second one is enabling Matic side staking, where we have an instant pool that helps some of the retail users on the Matic side avoid the gas costs and the pain of going, like transferring their tokens through, through the bridge, right? That is something that we have enabled on Matic side at no additional cost. Right? That's the second major advantage that we have. And the third is like our pace of integrations across the Matic ecosystem. Uh, is I think we probably have the highest number of integrations on Matic with four DEXs as well as all the lending slash uh, as lending slash options protocols going live. Right. So the utility is quite high for Matic X already. Yeah, and then you also have the SD token as well, correct? Um, when did that SD token go live? Because I think. Last time you and I talked, when I was with the Index Coop, and you were on the Conversations with the Coop podcast, I don't think that that token had gone live quite yet. Um, what, what is the utility, and what does governance have uh, control over within the protocol? So the SD token uh, had gone live, I think, around end of March uh, this year, uh, which was basically we we had a we had a public sale on CoinList. And uh, a couple of months after that public sale is when we had gone live. Right, right now, the X token is traded across Polygon, Uniswap, across DEXs and Polygon, Uniswap, as well as uh, on several centralized exchanges. One of the major utilities of SG token is obviously it is the governance token for the state of protocol. Once the governance and staking goes live, the major uh, decisions that the SD holders are going to uh, uh, vote on or, or or basically govern on or one uh, the major decisions like which chains to operate, how much rewards to allocate for each of these chains. The second major uh, uh, areas of governance are what should be our validator selection? How should we actually think about uh, exiting and uh, re-entering these validators? Because that's important as that determines the uh, yield that staking yield set we are able to generate right so the second one third one is exercising the control on how should we how should we uh, spend our ecosystem funds how should we spend our treasury and all of these things yeah and i'm just kind of thinking like looking out into the next like i, I don't like to say five to ten years because that seems like such a long time in crypto but let's do like the next like two to three years like, what do you see for the future of staking? Like, what is that going to look like? Is it going to be all institutions? Um, I don't know. I just a lot of questions. I just want to get your thoughts. My sense is basically. So let's 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 examine the factors that are going to probably change in the next three to four three to four years. Right. One a lot of potentially on the retail side, hundreds of millions, maybe a billion users will probably get onto crypto. Right. On the institution side, a lot of traditional institutions will probably own crypto assets and would want to use that, use the existing opportunities to put their assets to productive use. Right. They're probably going to not going to go through the hassle of finding out who the right validators are, what are the risks inherent in these and all of these things. Right. I think there is a huge scope for abstracting out all of these things. Right. They are they're not even probably going to understand what liquid staking is and they're not going to take that liquid staking token, put that in a vault and generate yield. I probably think they're not going to understand all of these. So so there is there has to be a lot of abstraction from what exists today, right? What that means is for the user, all he should care about is say, here is Matic. Now, this is a very low risk opportunity for you, which yields you 7%. But 
your token is locked for three days. If you want to instantaneously undelegate, you can't, right? And then there is there is another option for him which says here is six point five percent for you, but you can instantly redeem your matic whenever you want. And by the way, here are these mid to high risk opportunities where you would probably get twenty percent. What that means is we are taking additional smart contract risk. We are probably exposed to capital erosion due to impermanent laws, etc. Right. So a lot of abstraction of these things have to happen for the retail user. Right. On the institutional side, I see a lot of. I think uh, what has to improve is the taxation, the regulation, regulatory environment has to drastically change and bring in a lot more clarity on how to how how to treat these liquid staked assets, how to treat staking rewards, how the imposition of taxes on these will be, and all of that. Right. So all of those will probably be simplified, and there there will be a lot more ad- adoption of institutions towards staking or potentially even liquid staking. Right. Yeah, I think the tax implications is a good one uh, from the institutional standpoint because there was that story sometime earlier this year that said there was like a, a federal judge in the U.S. ruled that staking rewards uh, are not taxable income. I think he ruled it as uh, taxable income, and then. A couple had uh, appealed for the higher court against the ruling of the lower court judge. And that, you know, not financial advice, and I'm not an accountant or a financial advisor or an attorney, but I do have a traditional finance background, and that doesn't really pass the smell test to me. I feel like if you know, like it's, I don't know, it's additional revenue you're receiving kind of feels, yeah, but we don't have to go into those details. We probably shouldn't. Um, I mean, and I, I think you made a lot of good points about like abstracting away the complexity and, but, but there are also a lot of risks related to staking that I think a lot of users are not aware of and probably don't want to take the time to understand those risks. Um, like what are uh, some other risks that maybe we haven't quite talked about yet uh, related to staking and uh, how does stater mitigate any of these risks if they do? So one of the, one of the risks of staking is with respect to the validators performance, right? On a majority of the networks, there is something called a slashing that is applied on a validator. uh, If he, if he doesn't perform well, so now slashing can be catastrophic, right? On on ETH, I think there is a chance of hundred percent of the capital being slashed in case of a in case of a negative event by a validator, right? So that's going to be catastrophic for funds. Uh, similarly, there is a risk of underperformance by the validator. That means he's not generating the rewards as per the like. I mean, if you if you compare him relatively with the other validators, right? The third thing is financial like related, which is the validators can set their commission to probably very high commission because delegators hardly check these commission rate moments, right? So all of these are risks with respect to staking, which can have an impact on either their capital or the yields that they are able to generate on top of the capital. So what we do as uh, as a as a protocol is we constantly monitor these validators, their uh, quality network network performance metrics as well as financial metrics, and then based on that we redelegate and rebalance the native tokens across these validators so that some of these risks are minimized where where are you seeing the most demand for staking i think if you if you talk in terms of the amount of capital it's always the institutions right because 80 20 rule applies everywhere <laughs> there are large capital holders which form majority of the tokens uh, that are held so and and then obviously staking is probably one of the uh, i mean in terms of if you grade risks of participating in defi probably staking is like right at the bottom right because it's a it's it's there's no additional smart contract risk tokens are locked with the validator unlike a defi protocol where the where the defi protocol is is has its own inherent smart contract risk hacking risks all of these things. Right. And what about which chains? Like which layer ones are you seeing the most demand? I think Polygon is a great great chain where majority of uh, Matic is staked uh, either by 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 the uh, by retail or by institutions. Right? There's a ton of Matic that is staked. 
and uh, slowly we are seeing a good amount of adoption for liquid staking as well similarly there is a there is a huge uh, solana that is also staked about 66 70% of solana is staked and uh, even bnb uh, bnb is a chain where staking is quite popular so what's uh, what's something new on the roadmap uh, that's coming up for stater that is gets you most excited what are you most looking forward to on the roadmap uh, so a couple of things growth here for us is going to be via expanding to newer blockchains we are actively looking at other blockchain like come some of the upcoming blockchains like uh, aptos mistin and uh, several other chains on uh, on the cosmos ecosystem right uh, second is obviously our focus on growing the existing chains like polygon near bsc and like even the other chains like phantom as well as hedera where the where there is a where there is a decent momentum of late uh, so the third lever that we have is we actively are looking to build these abstraction layers for some of the centralized players like exchanges etc and connect them via apis and expose them to these uh, uh, expo- and expose them to some of the staking products and staking vaults so these are three major things on the roadmap for us like really looking forward to launching some of those and taking them to the market well it's great that you're diversifying your revenue sources and i think you mentioned earlier also that the token holders also have a a vote in how to utilize stater's treasury correct and so how does your protocol generate revenue where where does that where do those funds come from for the treasury so the so we actually charge a small percentage of commission from the staking rewards that are uh, generated right so for example on polygon we take about 10% commission uh on other chains we charge typically we charge anywhere between 3 to 10% as our commission still 10% of the staking rewards as our commission right and that goes and sits with the protocol treasury yeah and i think people could pretty quickly look at that and say like 3 to 10% and like that seems like a lot but i think what people don't realize is a the service you're providing which is you're basically vetting these validators and keeping tabs on them to make sure they're performing and then also you also get that liquidity with your staking as well uh, as opposed to staking by yourself so you can use these in DeFi and take out a loan against your matic x or lp it to try to generate additional revenue as well and uh, I, I don't know is that three to ten percent is that pretty comparable to other protocols like lido in in rocket pool yeah it's reasonably comparable yep okay i we're kind of running up on time and you've answered pretty much all of my questions so far is there anything that like we haven't touched on that you want to touch on specifically uh i think one of the most important things that we probably also could talk about is the decentralization uh, and the way we select validators right uh so basically on every blockchain that we go to we typically have i think we all want decentralization right and one of the points that we touched upon in the beginning as a disadvantage of proof of stake networks is the potential centralization that it can uh it can lead to so what that means is basically we when we select the validators we typically choose validators that are that have slightly lower amount of delegations compared to the top validators yet performing very well uh we validate their like we we review their performance metrics including the number of blocks signed commissions that they charge and select the appropriate set of validators and delegate the native tokens to them what that means is we are delegating tokens to smaller set of validators which means higher amount of decentralization for the network yeah and i think another thing related to decentralization that's interesting is i think when you look at lido they've got a very significant portion of the eth that is staked on the beacon chain um what are your thoughts on those types of risks as well as like one of these decentralized staking providers having too much staked and kind of that being a, a centralized not a centralized but definitely like a a point of failure potentially a point of weakness for the ecosystem i i think it's a it's it's we have to like i i definitely am inspired by what lido has achieved so far uh having said that it is really up to the market 
to determine whether they put their entire uh, ETH state with Lido or with another provider, right? Like I am a big believer in the market forces. Uh, having said that, there is definitely risk to some some centralization and single point of failure. But such such points of failure exist across the board, right? Like for example, a lot of ETH is staked on Binance. A lot of ETH is probably staked on Coinbase as well, right? All of these are uh, points of failure for the entire network. Uh, if there is a scope to encourage competition, I think definitely the ETH ecosystem has to do that and in, in, in encouraging more and more competition. My sense is once the merge happens and withdrawals happen, the entry point for several liquid staking providers on Ethereum will also be, will also go down. So that's when you probably see some amount of normalization. And with a lot of these newer technologies like distributed validator and several players building on them, I hope to see a few more, uh, few more competitive solutions emerging in the market. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And I've got just like two more questions for you and then I'll, I'll let you go on it. Uh, it, it sounds like that Stator Labs is waiting to get into Ethereum staking post-merge while there's other protocols like Lido and Rocket Pool who are already providing Ethereum staking. Is there any specific reason why uh, Stator decided to wait until post-merge? Uh, so basically, we, when we are entering ETH staking, I think one of the differentiating factors that we are looking for is the technology that we're using which is going to be the distributed validator technologies, unlike a centralized technology that currently is under play. Uh, so that is going to be a differentiator for us. Otherwise, we just don't want to be a me-too product on Ethereum. Okay, that makes sense. Um, well, I, yeah, like I said, you've answered all of my questions. And uh, I think, yeah, we're kind of running up on time here a little bit. But I mean, it was great to have you. Great to talk to you again, as always. Why don't you just tell our audience where they can go to find out more about you and Stator Labs and specifically uh, staking on Polygon? Absolutely. Thanks, thanks, Justin, for having me. And uh, it was always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and uh, thanks, for, thanks, everyone, who's tuned in to listen to this uh, podcast. Uh, really had a great time. If you want to check out more about uh, Stator Labs, uh, you can visit statorlabs.com. Uh, that's where you'll find all the information around the networks we are live on and also links to our socials, official social channels, including Telegram, Twitter, Discord, etc., where you can uh, further talk to us and ask questions about our future roadmap or our current solutions that are already live. All right. Yeah. To everyone who's watching on YouTube. Thank you for watching. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Substack, thanks for listening as well. Uh, Amit, thanks again one last time, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.